Drive-by Cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. It's episode 22 of Drive-by Cinema. I'm Rick, your host. This is Paul. Merry Christmas, everybody. And Alistair. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho. Complete with reindeer antlers, Alistair. Very nice. <laughs> Richard jingling away there. I've got myself an LED Christmas jumper, oh. which you can probably only wear once. I mean, talk about single-use plastics. It's 100% acrylic and you can't ever presumably wash it. So don't spill any gravy on it. Ooh, that's a fair point, actually, yeah. And Paul, you're wearing a Jedi robe. I am wearing a Jedi robe. Which... It's, it's actually a swimming robe, as you explained it to is, me. It is, yeah. Made of microfiber. That isn't electrostatic and bears no resemblance to the microfibers you might find in cleaning products. It is Boxing Day, the day we're recording. That traditional day where you flatten all the boxes that all your Christmas presents came in, mostly Amazon boxes, of course, at the moment. And you shove, you go down to the recycling bin, you shove them all through the slot so that they can be picked up, taken away and recycled and made into presents for next year. Hooray! Christmas cards or... Because that's the true meaning of Christmas, isn't it? It's the circle of life, Hakuna Matata. We start off with waste boxes, just like... Just like the way we crucified the baby Jesus and he turned into three babies <laughs> who each had a present, didn't they? Gold, Frankenstein and Myrrh. Hmm. And they, they had to flatten those boxes. <laughs> what could be more Christmassy? I always like a Frankenstein robot for my, for my, for, for, for my baby baby presents. You see? A tin toy, wind up. Today is also the, fe- it's the Feast of Stephen as well, of course, as on the day that good King Wenceslaus looked out. Is that because Stephen missed Christmas dinner? Because you probably wouldn't <laughs> want a feast on, on Boxing Day no. if you'd, you'd done what most people do, would you? I mean, I have barely eaten anything today except for the, as myself and Paul were discussing, except for the chicken and mash soup that I just had. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had um, uh, some Christmas pudding for breakfast and that's all I ate today. <laughs> What's your chicken and mash soup made from chicken leftovers no no it was made you know as chicken and mash soup that was the intention oh, oh, oh. of the makers i think yeah it was delicious that sounds great the whole industry has been thrown into turmoil haven't they what with the lockdown and whatnot but christmas jumper industry in particular is suffering richard whether it be led and non-recyclable or whether it be comedy uh, Christmas jumper and recyclable. Uh, I mean, most of the sales are made for office parties, you see, as opposed to wearing it in the house with your family in a comedy way. So they're having a really tough time. So I'm really glad that you supported that uh, that threatened industry. By the time people are watching this, the festive period is probably already happy over. Happy New Year. Isn't it? I mean, it might. <laughs> happy New Year is probably more appropriate. <laughs> yes. Uh, we do probably have some corrections. I've got to bring up a correction to correct you guys over because during the midsummer episode you started talking about the notorious right-wing terrorist Anders Breivik ah yes Uh he's Norwegian he's Norwegian I said Swedish my bad an entirely different Scandinavian they're all the same up there well that's uh, that was my error I think my apologies I think Paul was he was plowing the same furrow as well I wouldn't Take the whole responsibility on I think I started it, really. Yeah. And you guys, you got all of the witch families mixed up by the sound of it, didn't you? It's a minor error, I think, with the, the, the naming of Demdike. Oh, there were minors. Sorry, I thought, <laughs> I thought they were witches. <laughs> no, I think we got the name right, the family, which is the devices or devices. Uh, however, the grandmother, Demdike, 
probably had a different surname, if she had a surname at all. We're coming up then to the moment where we play a little bit of sting music to separate this opening bullshit from the rest of the podcast. Sting music. Oh, oh, it may be so you, time. to separate the bullshit from the bullshit movie that's coming. It may be time for Alistair to remove his his jingly oh. headdress. I'll put them back on later when when we're saying farewell, shall I? Okay, I'll, I'll take put them, them back in the one video. <laughs> okay. Yes. Bye, Antlers. This week's movie was The Conjuring, and yeah. I don't think Paul was a great fan. But let's find out after this break. (laughs) Paul. Yeah? What's your problem with The Conjuring, then? This was my suggestion, wasn't it? I came up with this idea. You chose it, though. Yeah, but I think think it was a blind suggestion on your part, wasn't it? You hadn't actually done any homework, had you, Richard, when you suggested it? Not a great deal. (laughs) There was a better choice that we didn't go for. Wasn't there? The, what was the other choice? The Hereditary or the Hereditary or... Oh, the other Ari Aster movie. Yeah, hmm. which would have been a better choice, I think. Interesting comparison, actually, because they're both related to demons and demonology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Hereditary might have been a better choice, but this is a very different kind of movie. So what was my problem with this? Well, let me just say what did I like about it. Well, not very much, but I did like the cinematography. It, you know, Carrie and all those great 70s horror movies... I was going to say exactly the same. Yeah, the grainy film. I think they've reused an original film film type here. It's a period piece, isn't yes. it? Yes, and a also really good period you know the beige color scheme, the seventies cars. It really does look like a seventies horror movie. I don't know how they've done that, but they've done it really well because, like, you know, the quality of film these days is obviously far superior to the seventies. So I don't know what choice the cinematographer's made here, the director of photography made, but he made a really good choice in that respect. Well, it's the colour grading, yeah. or maybe it's a choice of production design colours from the 70s. It's all beige and stuff, isn't it? it but you're right. It has that they feel. brilliantly capture that era mm. of... And this is what's weird about this movie, and my problem with this movie is almost entirely down to the fact that it's supposedly based on a true story. <laughs> yeah. like why, else, why else would you try to go for the 70s yeah. as a period thing? If it if they weren't supposedly reenacting something that's supposed to happen in that era, sure. But they've also gone simultaneously for the seventies uh, horror movie look. It's very evocative of The Exorcist and Poltergeist. Very, isn't it? Yeah. That's those are the two films that I kept thinking about. When I, I kept thinking of Carrie and the, the Omen and stuff like that. You know, and all yeah, of the them. Omen a bit, a as bit. Well. You know, yeah. well, perhaps that but, was a deliberate. Um, that was something that they were trying to do because it's something of a golden age of horror films. It was, yeah. yeah. Lots of things were done for the first time in horror films. No doubt, yeah. So maybe yeah. that's the choice. Maybe they were just trying to evoke that feeling. It's and a bit like, this... like Stranger Things. I don't think anybody would believe yeah. that that's based on anything like a true story, but that has got that nails the 80s vibe. It does, doesn't it? Completely. Really, really well. Um, and I think... It does, but it, it doesn't feel like an 80s programme. It doesn't, no. Yeah. Which is what the difference with this film is both it is trying to be a period film about the 70s, but also doing it in a 70s film style. Yes, true. yes, very yes, definitely. True. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I, I think you know, part, of the thing, part of the thing about the 70s was it was a horrific decade in itself. You know, it was a huge come down from the, from the, from the oh, 60s. Oh, it was no 2020. It was a horrid time to be alive, really. It, it leads, it lends itself well to horror, I think. So, what did what didn't I like about the movie? Well, everything else is in quick summary. I mean, <laughs> it's just everything. It was, oh god. I mean, it, it, I need. To, I think we need to explain, don't we, the premise of this film? Mm-hmm. 
So it, it's in a way a, a two sort of fisted story. There's first of all, we're going to be looking at the ghost hunters or demonologists, yes. as they're called. This is a husband and wife couple, the Warrens, Ed Warren and Laurie Lorraine Warren or something. Lauren Warren. Lauren Warren? Sorry. <laughs> anyway, now the Warrens are ghost hunters. They're paranormal investigators. They call themselves demonologists. They're real people. And this film is supposedly based on some of their case files or case notes. And they've endorsed it as being, wow. you know, an accurate depiction. Which is, I have to stress at the outset, <laughs> complete bullshit, of course. It's also focusing, though, on this family, the Perron family who is a family that moves into a a new house for them. It's an old house, obviously, where terrible things seem to have happened in the past. At least that's what we get told. They start experiencing these paranormal incidents. Paranormal. The girls are asleep and they feel a tug on their ankle and stuff like that. And there's strange smells. God, imagine moving into an old house and finding there are strange smells around. I mean, it's probably rats dying behind. And, And... this is a house built in a style of a lot of American houses that you just don't get that kind of house over here, I don't think, you no. know, anymore, do you? But where, you know, there's a lot of kind of uh, interior interior walls, drywall stuff with a space behind, a cavity behind. Mm-hmm. And so people end up going into those different cav- cavities, don't they? And, of course, there's like a cellar as well. It's, it's a big enough, old enough house to have a cellar. Uh, so there's lots of, you know, semi-secret passages and stuff like that. Yeah, so the kids are experiencing these strange smells and getting, you know, weird sensations and even in the, in the night time and they're trying to sleep and thinking someone's behind the door. And eventually, to cut a long story short, they wind up going to one of the lectures that the Warrens are giving at a university about their work and how they track down hauntings and what demons are and stuff. And they beg for help. Yeah, they beg for help. And because you get this classic, and this is right out of Poltergeist, which I think is kind of the trope set for this. Yes. Where you get them going as like a ghost hunting team into their house to set up cameras and stuff like that. And they've built a little team, haven't they? So it's obviously, it's the, the Warrens themselves, but they've got this this academic guy, I think, or a student from the university where they were giving a lecture. Also, a policeman comes along for the ride as well, with a shotgun, so he can shoot the ghosts. I don't know, <laughs> don't know what, what that was for. But he does shoot it, shoot them later, so that's good. Uh, yeah, why, though? What university course were they giving a lecture about? What, <laughs> what university has a demonology course on it? I didn't get that. <laughs> I don't uh, know. Was it, was it maybe just a public lecture? Well, it must have been, wasn't it? Because she, she went along, the mother... Mrs. Perron went along, and she obviously wasn't a student at the university. In oh. fact, I mean, I don't think they were all that highly qualified, worthy of the parents. The, the, the guy seemed to be a truck driver. Truck driver, yeah. yeah. But they had a massive house, so they needed one, because he had five freaking daughters. Mm. I mean, obviously, there's no uh, internet in the 1970s, and perhaps very few TV channels. But, I mean, the first thing that she wanted to do when they moved in was shag him. Did they not use birth control? I mean, we find out that they're not actually Catholics, so I don't know what the problem there was. Some people just like big families. Take it easy. How can you afford a big family? One or two points about the house Mm. there, Rich. Uh, One, I mean, real estate was and still remains cheaper in non-coastal America, USA. Uh, But I think this is set in New England. But I think in the 70s, New England property was cheap also, per square foot. Mm. Two, uh, the house became the subject of a lawsuit. Its current owner 
uh, sued Warner Brothers because the, the film, I don't know how, became a box office smash. And, uh, <laughs> and so the, the, the real house about which, or around which this, this movie is somewhat loosely based uh, became the subject of uh, the attention of fans. Box office smash. And let's not forget, this is a movie in the extended The Conjuring cinematic universe. Yes, unfortunately, there's more of it. There is a bunch of other movies all related to this, with the, presumably with the Warrens in it as well. And all smashes too. And there's a new one coming out, not was, was billed for 2021, but obviously it's going to be 2022. I think it's called The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. And that's coming soon. So, oh, For pity's sake. Yes. So there's a real appetite for this nonsense, but I don't know from whom, because it's so brainless. There are spin-offs as well, aren't there? Because I know The Conjuring 2 has a, a, a freaky nun in it, and the nun has two films of her own. Oh, one called Hell. The Nun, and I think the second one might be called The Nun 2. And the the, the doll that's the, in the, at the Annabelle. start, the, Anna, the Annabelle doll, I believe there's at least one film about the doll, because the Warrens have... That's yeah, a the side Warrens story. have a vault, don't they? Yeah, They've got right. a vault of, and this is true. Uh, they have a museum. They do really have a museum in their home where they collect all these objects, which I are see. supposedly freaking possessed or haunted or whatever the hell that fucking means, anyway. Uh, and one of the things, one of the centerpieces of this collection is this doll that they keep in a glass case with a special notice on it saying "Do not open." I know that uh, doll. Do you? Have you seen the picture of the real doll? On the website. Yes, I know that doll. It's called Yvette Fielding. (laughs) (laughs) The doll in this movie, though, is made to look creepy. It's got like a gammy eye and it's got, you know, scratches on its porcelain face. Uh But the actual Annabelle doll is way, way, way creepier by dint of it being like a proper childish, like, nastily painted plastic thing. It's, you know, it's not gothic at all. It's really weird and ugly. Uh, but consequently, very, you know, very much creepier. In the same way, the clowns are terrifying. We did have a clown. We had a little clown boy in a music box here, didn't we? Yeah, oh, the music box is the haunted thing, isn't it? Because, ah, fucking film. Because, uh, yeah, in the rules, whatever the fucking rules they are, that, that Ed Warren describes, of course, a demon spirit, whatever that is, likes to possess people, but if you can't manage that, it can possess a doll or a music box, apparently, and that's also fine. Can I just stop you there? Uh, this is the only bit of demonology we got at the beginning of the movie. Uh, apparently ghosts inhabit objects, but demons can inhabit people. There is this distinction to be made between the two kinds of uh, paranormal beings. Oh, there was some more demonology, though. He said, oh. oh, yeah, because they said... He said, oh, do you hear knockings in threes? And, and they go, oh, yeah, yeah. That's an insult to the Trinity. Exactly, yeah, of course it is. Because they're very religious, the Warrens. Certainly he is. She is a psychic, so she goes into creepy rooms and experiences. Do you mean in real life they're actually quite religious? Yes, they are. Ah. I mean, he is rumoured to have had an adulterous affair with uh, an underage girl. Allegedly. Allegedly. That's what it says in the Wikipedia page, anyway. So sue Wikipedia rather than us. They're like they're they're the kind of people that legends and myths grow up around. Right. And I've got such a problem with this film because it's claiming to be true. You know, they could have told this same rather drab, ordinary story, like the Poltergeist. You know, 
Which, let's not forget, is a Steven Spielberg masterpiece, isn't it? The Poltergeist. They could have told a very similar kind of story about a haunting in the same way, with no aspirations to it being a true story. True story, yeah. I would have had a much less of a problem with it. I maybe would have said it's not scary or I don't it doesn't trigger me and you know I'm not moved by it. But I wouldn't have been angry about it. But this just makes me angry because they're just bullshitting. I mean for me one of the problems was, you know, it was presented as a true story and then I wasn't gonna do a trope count of, you know, things that happen in horror movies. But then just so many of them started happening that I did do and I started writing them down on one piece of my notes. And just to go through them, you know, banging doors, slamming doors, rattling windows. Oh, fucking doors. Uh, doors people suspended on chairs in, in midair. You know, <laughs> double demonic voices, uh, lights going out, electronic interference, just uh, all of it. I, uh, about 20 people sleepwalking, people staring at walls, uh, people looking at mirrors, things suddenly appearing, looking one way and then looking back to where you're originally looking and something is suddenly appearing. You know? <laughs> it was all there, you know, everything. And they just threw everything in there into the, into the cauldron. And, I, and that, to me, is an indication of how weak the movie was because they just, it was all in there, you know. It was, it was, it was a bargain bargain bucket of just every single thing you'd ever, ever seen in a, in a horror movie. Hackneyed tropes, repeated yeah. ad nauseum. Yeah. But with very little direction or or, or or substrate, really. The point where that really threw me and made me really angry is, you know, if you're keeping up this pretense that this is supposed to be a true story, okay, fine. And perhaps there are different interpretations of what happened, maybe, yeah, sure. But there's a moment early on, and it's it's like one of the first real bits of supernatural thingy going on, right? Where the mother is playing the game that... Is, it, is this Blind Man's Bluff? I don't know how you play blind man's blind man's Probably, but one yeah. person wears a, a blindfold and the person hiding that they, they they ask them to clap, so you with the blindfold can hear where the clap is uh, and you go toward it. And they play that game, don't they? The, the girls obviously again you they have to entertain themselves. I mean, one of the girls puts up wind chimes on the back porch. So starved of entertainment were they in the seventies? Can't imagine <laughs> anything more annoying than a fucking wind chime. Who wants that every time the wind blows? <laughs> so anyway, they're playing Blind Man's Bluff and the, the girls do like this game. But the mother is playing at one point and she's going into the room that, you know, we think might be a bit haunted because the girls are sleeping there and weird things happen. And there's a, an old closet in the corner, a wardrobe as we would call it. The doors come open whilst the mother's there blindfolded or something and she asks for a clap and these two hands come out of the wardrobe and clap. <laughs> but of course, I mean, the mother was blindfolded, so obviously she couldn't have she couldn't have reported to anybody. Oh yeah, I saw two hands come out. She had a blindfold on. She was playing fucking blind man's bluff. So who was who were we supposed to be seeing that crap? The it's, audience. It, exactly. There is no audience. It's, it's, it makes no in a true story. It makes no sense. And of course, anyway, later we learn that that wardrobe has got a secret panel anyway, so a kid could have gone inside. Uh, and and have been clapping in the wardrobe, if there was anything to explain. That, That's the it? problem, though. There's no attempt. I mean, they introduce some of the uh, some of the uh, gadgets that psychic psychic uh, event investigators have, oh, like gosh, you know, yeah. electronic voice phenomena recorders and uh, oh, UV God. light and that kind of thing. But nothing is done with these. With, no, that's with- right. That's absolutely right. They don't do anything with them. Yeah, you know they're not pivotal to any anything in the plot whatsoever. So why present it as a real a real life occurrence? You know, they do use the UV light at one point to try to follow follow one of the children's footsteps. I think into footprints. the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yes, 
footsteps to Narnia. We're just going to jump into another movie for a short time. Come in the wardrobe with me. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> This movie obviously relies, like many horror movies do, on a supernatural entity being the antagonist in this movie, mm-hmm. right? Look, I mean, I'm immediately a bit suspicious of that. But obviously, for the point of view of fantasy and a good horror movie, I'm prepared to accept that as a part of the fiction. I just can't accept it as a, you know, quasi-true story. It's just annoying. Because fundamentally, the idea of a supernatural agency is a philosophical dead end. I don't understand it. You know, how can you have something which can, you know, has no impact, doesn't interact with the natural world, but is leaving bruises on people or slamming doors or, you know, pushing a thing off a shelf. That's obviously a natural thing at the point where it interacts. You can't have a supernatural thing that we can detect. You can detect (laughs) it. It's a natural thing by its very definition. It's just a, an annoyingly blank concept. Is it fair to say then that if if this story wasn't purporting to be a true story, would you have had less of a problem with it? Yes, yes, yeah. It's, it gets okay. back to what we were saying about sci-fi, doesn't it? About, you know, do we have to have hard sci-fi getting the science right all the time? And no, obviously not. You know, it doesn't matter that Valerian is kind of nonsense. It's just nice, you know, exciting mm. uh, spectacle out of nonsense with, you know, with laser guns. That's fine. Yeah. But if you're going to come along and pretend to be a true story. Yeah. So the, you know, down to the fact that at the end of the movie, they have blinking black and white photographs of the real people. Mm. Then, you know, it's irresponsible. It's, this is how we get to anti-vaxxers and, you know, Trump conspiracy theorists and QAnon. No, I, I give props to what Richard just said, you know, it, like for sci-fi, you know, if you're going to have slingshots around the moon and you focus on how people survive on a, on a spaceship, then obviously you've headed into territory where you're presenting science fiction with real science elements. And it, it better be, you know, it better be truthful at that point. I mean, who wants to watch a detective movie where where the detective discovers the, you know, the, the, the perpetrator by, by accident or by magic? Nobody wants to watch that, do they? <laughs> it would be stupid. You know, we want to see Sherlock deduce. Well, actually, he doesn't deduce, does he? Formally, I he mean, induces. It's, it's either inductive or it's the other. Th- it's a third kind of logic that he uses. I forgot what the third kind is called. So yeah, we, we we don't want to watch that kind of detective movie, do we? Obviously, it's very rare that we want to watch detectives, uh, you know, crimes that are solved by magic. And the same way, we want to watch science fiction that's presented as hard science that that is accurate. And so, so yeah, I, I think for horror, obviously, if you're going to present it as a real story, then then we want it to somehow convince us that either the demon existed, or that its existence could be tenuous, or that somehow the investigators found out that it wasn't a demon. I mean, those are the three options, really. But what we don't want is this is this remake of uh, of every single seventies horror movie thrown into one. I mean. <laughs> For me. Last week, we watched a horror movie with no supernatural entities whatsoever. No claim either to be true. And it was way, way, way creepier and scarier. Or, in Paul's case, funnier. (laughs) Than this movie. (laughs) You know, you don't need that baggage to make a scary film. I mean, maybe for some people. Maybe people who believe this kind of crap. This movie is frightening. 
But for me, it's an immediate problem. It's a credibility thing that I, I you know, I'm going to have trouble with, and I'm just almost certain not certainly not going to find it scary. Can we cut to Alison now? Because I do believe that you have some knowledge of the background, the historical background for this movie. Is that right or not? Not particularly, oh. no. Okay. Um, sorry, but I won't just I won't just dead end that. Um, I did a, a little bit of digging around after this, yeah. um, and one one thing that I found that was quite interesting on YouTube was um, an interview. I can't remember when it was done. It might have been in the nineties, but it was an interview with Andrea Perron, who is the eldest of the daughters. Right. And she's written a book. Well, I think she's written a few books about about the house Whoa. and growing. Well, I, I get the. I, I'm not sure exactly how old she was in this film, The Conjuring. I think she's maybe about fifteen or sixteen, maybe yeah. maybe a tad older. Um, but uh, she has written a number of, I think, a number of books about it. And I think the, the series is called House of Darkness, House of Light. Um, and she was asked about. Oh, actually, this this dates it because it, it, it was she was being interviewed about the film, so um, it's roughly the same time as uh, the Conjuring came out, and she's being asked about the, her experience of living in the house, and she said, "Well, it's not it wasn't exactly like it's it's shown in the film because we were there for quite a, we lived there for quite a, a long ah, time, okay. but she said it was actually far worse in real life. She and she it's quite clear that if we're taking her word for it, that she believes everything." you know her descriptions of everything that happened she believes are real i'm not saying that little girls can't get freaked out by creepy things going on in their house and you cannot rule out that when like girls are getting ankles pulled and smelling really foul smells that it isn't one of the other girls doing it <laughs> well uh, there's a really funny bit where there's a bad smell and someone says oh have you farted again exactly there's two, there's two girls sharing a bedroom and I just thought it was great that they actually went there with that <laughs> and surprisingly none of them owned up to it but <laughs> you know I mean we've got no evidence that that wasn't the case and it, it you know this would strike me as a strong possibility but it doesn't mean to say that the the girls weren't convinced that something weird was going on one of the things that happens in this movie is the Warrens go to the uh, local Catholic priest because they determined that they need an exorcism. But as they warn the Perons, oh, well, you know, the Vatican won't endorse uh, an exorcist unless we've got solid evidence that there's actually a demon thing going on here. So we're going to need to gather the evidence. This is a point which they bring in all their cameras and all their devices that detect temperature. So, Because, of course... These supernatural beings, despite not not being able to affect you know the natural world in any way, can somehow make the temperature go down when they're around. Uh, go figure. So they set up all this stuff, and during their investigation, they take a movie of one of the girls being dragged around the floor by her hair, uh, which goes on until I think the mum cuts her hair off. <laughs> Seemed rather drastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then they take this movie to the priest. And they play it to him, and the priest goes, "Oh yeah, I see. Yeah, this is definitely yeah. No, only a demon would pull a girl around by the hair like that." And obviously, he he goes off to to arrange an, an authorized exorcism. If, you know, if this movie existed, we would have seen the fucking thing. It would have been paraded around. It would be on the Warrens' website. Uh, this you know, is it would be it, in their yeah. case files. That's it's a very just, good that's the one thing I thought. Bullshit. Like, they have all this on tape, literally, you know, all this paranormal activity. 
So let's uh, take it to a priest. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> as opposed to like the highest, the highest level of governmental authority in in the country. That was just nonsense, wasn't it? You know, I mean, heck. But of course, uh, the Vatican apparently can't organise an exorcism in a hurry. I don't know. There's probably a backlog or something. Well, no, they it, weren't baptised. That was the problem. Oh, that's right. They're not Catholics, as I say. So it makes the five yeah. kids a mystery, as I mentioned, doesn't it? I mean, they never do anything quickly, though, the Vatican. <laughs> no, nothing ever takes place quickly. What could be more urgent than the presence of, the de- of a demon on Earth <laughs> terrorising a family? <laughs> it's like literally the only useful thing they could ever do. <laughs> yeah. I think this is, um, uh, I have to say, an example of people getting Catholic the Catholic Church wrong again. It doesn't. I don't think it works like that. I don't know. I mean, I don't know much about exorcisms, um, but I don't, I don't think, think it works ha- like anything. I don't think you. Well, it definitely works in some ways, but um, I, I don't think you have to get approval from the Vatican for an exorcism because every Catholic diocese in the world has an exorcist. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they do, um, and. I believe it's probably down to them and the local bishop to decide whether or not an exorcism is warranted. But they're very. Ri- I mean, I don't. I can't say about the seventies. You know, as, as Paul's mentioned, it was something of a different time. But I, th- I think that they're really clear these days that you have to have exhausted the possibility of it being anything other than the vague possi- the, the the possibility of, of demonic possession. In other words, they don't really do them. <laughs> But they they have the they have the they still have the office of exorcist That's... present just in case. But it's very rare. I First think. of all, the obvious observation there is why not? Because why not just do an exorcism anyway? Yeah. Uh, if there really were demon spirits, if they were if there were such a thing, why would you not just do an exorcism anyway? If you were in a you know an eternity long battle of everybody's souls against demonic forces, the least you could do is if someone said, "Oh, I think there might be a demon here," is go, oh, "I'll just do an exorcism." There you go, job done. Because it couldn't possibly have any negative consequences, could it? it? Flashing a bit of holy water around and waving a crucifix. What's what's the big deal? Just get it done. So clearly, that's nonsense. Uh, secondly, of course. The one thing we should say, and one thing we should say less, more seriously about this, is that. There are places in the world where demonic possession is taken terrifyingly seriously. And people who presumably have serious mental health conditions mm. are treated abominably by untrained religious nutjobs. They have well, these... may I just say, that that's why the Catholic Church doesn't do exorcisms so readily. It's so that somebody who is mentally ill doesn't get labelled as being possessed. Yeah, okay. But, you know, if they really... If these relatively well-educated people really, in their heart of hearts, believed that there were demonic forces rampaging across the, the surface of the earth. They would do the exorcisms in a way that was sensitive, but, you know, effective, wouldn't they? If it, like, like I say, if it's just a matter of dashing a bit of holy water around, no one would get too upset. But the reality, of course, is that a lot of the exorcisms that get carried out are harrowing and terrifying experiences for everybody involved. Um, because partly because they're presumably carrying out completely bogus rituals on you know distressed people, and you know we shouldn't films like this shouldn't be given giving credence to that. I mean, The Exorcism, sorry, The Exorcist is a brilliant movie and an exceptional piece of filmmaking, but I, I think it bears some responsibility for making 
for you know endorsing the credibility of this kind of nonsense. There is one more um, piece of demonology here, and that is the three stages of the demon occurrence. One is infestation, two is oppression, and three is possession. Why we'd have to learn that during the movie, I don't know. We did. Oh, he's full of this crap, isn't he, Ed Warren? He comes out with something else. He's got a little like tool roll with a couple of crucifixes and some holy water in it. And he pops them around like on the shelves and stuff. He says, just to piss them off. <laughs> <laughs> and then we learn, we learn that he's not, he's not a qualified exorcist. He's not qualified, no. no. No fucking shit. <laughs> he's just hanging. Yes, he do, but yet he does one anyway. He's he hanging his anyway. sign right. outside his right. door, yeah. Yeah, the the, uh, the Catholic Church can't get their act together, so he just goes ahead and does it anyway. He has a go. In fact, he says at one point, he, he turns to, I think he says, I'll go and get the book. And presumably, what's that, exorcism for dummies? <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, it's the Holy Bible. Why? It's his only tool, right? Why would you leave that in the car when you go to a, a demon haunting? What, what, what possible reason would you think, oh, I'll leave that in the car, may or may not need the Holy Bible, yeah, come and get it later if I need it, let's see. Well, what harm could it be to carry it with you when you go into the freaking? I don't think house? it's a Bible. I think there'll probably be a, a there'll be a ritual manual for exorcisms. I think That's, we're told that demon spirits are eternal. They've always been with us, right? Which is odd. I mean, why would demons therefore understand Latin? What? Why? Why do they have to always speak in Latin? <laughs> Yeah, that's a bit daft, isn't it? But then again, it it's daft, like, yeah. but this is something that, along the line. This is somewhere it gets confused between demons and um, ghosts. Yes. And ghosts aren't demons, are they? Ghosts are the allegedly the spirits of deceased humans. Yes. No, he well, he says they're tortured souls at some point. I think mm. it's not clear, is it? It's a very muddled uh, cosmology. At least yeah. I did like the fact that the demon was able to possess the, the mother by puking blood into her. Oh, no, that's that was an interesting good. scene. That's, an inter- that's another one of those scenes where she's alone, right? And, yeah, uh, so we see on screen, yeah, this demon pukes into her mouth. <laughs> blood? <laughs> but then, like, she goes and sees uh, Thingy Warren, whatever she's called. I've got it written down somewhere. Is it Lorraine? Uh, but she doesn't mention it. She doesn't say to anyone, by the way, the demon just pukes in my mouth. <laughs> so, ha- again, think... how does anybody know that this is supposed to have happened, other than just making the fucking thing up? Yeah, that's strange. Either she doesn't want to tell because the demon's already, like, taking control of her brain, but then mm-hmm. if the demon's taking control of her brain, why would she go to the demonologist anyway? So <laughs> exactly. it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense, does it, either way? <laughs> Very strange. I'll tell you something, though. I did make... I was laughing earlier when you were talking about the doors. Doors... Are a lot of this movie, you know, a door slams. Oh, heck of a lot. Ter- yeah. Clearly terrifying. It's a big deal to deal with. And the reason is, and this is a, a big difference between American and British houses, for instance, is in American houses, they're still very fond of the round doorknob. Whereas yeah. I think probably it's building regs or European Union regulations. In this country, almost all door handles are like levers, you know, handles that you pull down on, aren't they? If you've ever been in a bathroom with wet hands trying to open a stiff a stiff door with a doorknob, you'll realise how scary they are. Maybe I have. I mean how much how much oxygen is in your average bathroom? I don't know. <laughs> I live on my own. I can't knock and expect anyone to come and get me out. I don't have doorknobs though. I have to suck on the plug hole, Richard. <laughs> suck in that air. No, well, you can T- tasty plug hole air. You can get toilet snorkels, can't you? 
Yeah. Imagine you're in a high-rise building and it's on fire and you don't know where to get oxygen from. You get out your emergency toilet snorkel and you push it through the U-bend and then you can breathe the air that's on the other side of the, the U-bend trap. Oh, whilst the flames are licking at your ankles. Yeah, well, it's it's smoke that kills you in a fire pool. That's a, a common uh, misconception. So I just cover myself with wet towels. Yeah, you bend over the toilet. You shove uh, your depending on how small my bathroom is, I might want to put most of my body in the bath, get my head down the loo, breathe through the yeah. loo, yeah. and just boiling water. I'll just be boiled, pickled or boiled in, in, in the hot water. Yeah. Look, the coda to all of this, right, is obviously the story is family move into haunted house. They find a demonologist. The demonologist exorcise the demon, and everything's fine. There you go. There's a there's a story for you. That's not before we've been through a few secret passages and that kind of stuff. Yeah, they've explored. Yeah, they found a secret door in the back of their wardrobe that goes down to the cellar, which is scary. It's got full of spiders. Yeah. Okay. There we go. But in reality, <sighs> you see, what actually happened was the Warrens were thrown out of the house because they weren't doing anything useful. It doesn't really flow quite as well as a dramatic story, does it? But that's that's the reality. Is that the reality? That's the reality, yeah. Really? Which is why I found this film so annoying. The Warrens were investigated by psychic investigators uh, Perry DeAngelis and Stephen Novella, who now, of course, presents The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, one of the most popular podcasts in the world. And what did they conclude about the Warrens? They said they were very nice people. <laughs> But had no evidence at all. Was there any suggestion that Warrens were trying to misguide the public with their with their activities? It's difficult, isn't it? Uh, James Randi, who died this year, of course, rest in peace. Yeah. He had a word for kind of charlatans who actually believed their own publicity. Ah, he, he called okay. them shut eyes. I dare say there are some mediums and psychics who actually, even though they're cold reading, they think they're getting their ideas and their messages from beyond as it were and they probably don't realize that they're hoodwinking people but with the well, because they're hoodwinking themselves aren't they they're, yeah they're fooling themselves yeah maybe not right to accuse them of being deceptive but they're certainly misguided if nothing else this it's their business you know they've got a museum and stuff and i see you can sign up on their web page if you want to read their drab case files about these hauntings so you know, it's part of the publicity machine, so they're probably never going to come clean about... You know, if you were in that line of work, you might think that some things were definitely real or you were sure some things were real, and you might exaggerate some other things and you might downright lie about others just to keep to keep the walls from the door. Yeah. Well, this is where you come into a conspiracy theory type things as well, isn't it? Because this is, people will do what it takes to protect the things that they believe in. Yeah. And we see this not in completely outside a religious context as well. We saw this in, if anyone's seen the fantastic HBO series Chernobyl, mm. um, the, yeah. what happens there is you've got the, the, the Soviet state and, of course, all the individuals who were involved in the decision-making process that led to the Chernobyl disaster. They all lied, covered up and colluded to, uh, um, to protect the ideology um, because they couldn't bear the thought. Because if you if you if you if you attack it, then you attack the thing, the the structure in which you live. Yeah. So it's a bit like someone's identity. If you if you pull things out, rip things away, things out, a bit like torture, then um, you can cause a lot of a lot of harm. So I suppose that if they may not believe they're lying, there's a difference between saying something that's not true and lying, isn't there? Um, so it may be that the Warrens 
really do believe everything that they say. So it's not a lie as such, but it's it's just it's not it's not necessarily factually accurate. And I did mention that uh, the real Annabelle doll. Oh, there they are. Is so that's the Warrens, I think, isn't it? Uh, that's yeah. not the doll we're talking about. No, here's Annabelle, the real daughter. Annabelle doll. Ooh, horrible! Eh? Oh, <laughs> it just—it's like Annabelle from Play Away or Play Play School. Yes, it is. Yeah. Wow. I'm. Oh dear. Why on earth would some? I think whoever made that might have been demonically possessed. Oh gee, come on! If that isn't proof of demonic possession. <laughs> What kind of absolute mentalist it's would like, make that? It's like the ragdoll version of Bagpuss. You know it's alive when you're not looking, don't you? <laughs> oh, this is like Blink by Doctor Who. If you take your eyes Whoa. off it, it's going to come at you, isn't it? That is scary, actually. Why did, you're right, Richard. Why didn't they? Why did they change it that, to that, that gothic scary. thing? Yeah. I think one mm. of the things that clearly happens or can happen in these cases is kids start off playing a practical joke and at some point it gets much bigger than they really know how to handle and they can no yeah. longer admit that it was them. You know, at the point where the mother is frantic and is taking iron medicine for bruises or something, uh, presumably she had some kind of platelet deficiency, didn't she? Uh, and, uh, you know, they're going and getting investigators from the local um, university or getting priests in. Then the kids are going to be going, shit, we can't, we can't now admit that it was me doing a silly voice and throwing uh, throwing things across the <laughs> it's room. Gone too, it's gone way it's too, gone too far, far yeah. now. Uh, mm. And it's probably for them easier uh, to carry on, you know, just just knocking on the on the wall uh, in the evening than it is to actually go and say, "Listen, you've all wasted your time." <laughs> Especially, you know, kids young enough not to realise, you know, the, the, the kids have no way of gauging the gravity of the situation, do they? You know, uh, uh, you know, this is true. So. They'd get themselves in, in the same, But I mean, a true believer would say that that makes them better conduits to see these things without the blinkers <laughs> yeah. of a, a rational a rational cognition, you see. Absolutely, yes. They're, it, they're not affected by the uh, the education system that's that's washed all the magic out of their... The sheeples that we are. Yes. <laughs> all right, let's do a science score. Again, wasn't thinking I was needing a science score for horror... But this is packed full of crap science that I've got to score. <laughs> go on then. You go first, Rich. For setting up temperature sensors all over the place, for setting up, you know, motion sensing cameras, uh, which interestingly, you know, when the cameras on, I think the only time the cameras went off, uh, Ed said, oh, it's not her setting them off, even though his, his daughter was walking up the stairs. Apparently it was something else, some other means of detecting motion. Uh, so for all of that bullshit, I'm going to give it a one. Well, it was a single shot camera as well because it had one of them massive yeah. flash bulbs. Did you think you'd have so to you go around and screen the flash bulbs? Wouldn't you? Yeah. Don't forget the bells as well on the doors. I'm going to give it a creditable four for science because they, when when the two exorcists did arrive or whatever you want to call them, they did point out that the noises could be explained by wet floorboards, wind, and pipes in the attic. The combination of the three. That's true. Well, yes, yeah. they did. So there was a suggestion at the very beginning that wasn't followed up on that maybe we were going to have a null hypothesis, alternative hypothesis approach to examining what was happening in here. I mean, that's what I thought was going to happen in this movie. We were going to have some level of objectivity or detachment from the events 
to look into this in a X-Files, is it true, not true kind of way, but that didn't happen, mm. despite the fact it being a real, you know, real, based on real, a real story. So apart from that, yeah, we got some instruments being brought in. We got UV light. We got some sort of sound, EVP detection. A four, a four from me for the science. Alison, Very generous. So, on to you. Yeah, science. Are we scoring science? I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a slightly different tack. I think, I think there was an, yeah, there were attempts made to try to exclude any demonic possession. So I think that there was at least they did, they did try to do that. So, but if we're gonna go on technicalities, then as I've just pointed out from my two, you know, um, erudite tomes on, on exorcism and Catholicism, he says thumping them down. Um, they got that really badly. They got it wrong. Even even their own nonsense cosmology. They got infestation they got wrong. in the wrong order. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they well, they did it, an exorcism themselves, and clearly that can't can't be done. And yet you that's not permitted. And you're saying that they would have an exorcist on call anyway in every church, just waiting to go. No, every diocese uh, has one. I don't, I don't um, know what a diocese is. Oh, a diocese is a big collection of parishes. So, but, oh, can we have a Christmas but, quiz, uh, Alistair? What does ecumenical mean? <laughs> It means pertain. It, well, it's, it's when it's. Um, ah, got you. Well, it depends. You see, <laughs> what does ecclesiastical mean? Certain things. Certain things would be an ecumenical matter. <laughs> what, what does <laughs> ecclesiastical mean? Oh, that means pertaining to the church. Oh. coming from the Greek word. Ah, here's a good one. Coming from the Greek word ecclesia, which means church, but it's also the origin of um, certain place names in the northwest, like Eccles. Is it? And Eccleston. And things like that. Yeah, of course. It's Churchtown, a bit like Kirkton. Kirkton. All right. What what was your score then, like uh, Alistair, for science? Oh, for the, well, for I think if <laughs> if I'm gonna, yeah, they they got they got a lot of the kind of the the Catholic technicalities wrong. So from that point of view, if we're going to treat that scientifically, they got that quite badly wrong. So I'm going to say deux points, two. All right. Uh, acting, Paul. Uh, the acting, I scored seven. It was mundane, but but functional. I thought. I'm going to be harsher again because I think we've seen again in in the Lovecraft one, Color Out Space. You know, again, obviously H.P. Lovecraft has a particular take on what how horror affects people, but you know, we had people being kind of frightened in the usual horror movie tropey kind of way. You know, like because you can't open the bathroom door with wet hands kind of way, but. It didn't really drive anybody mad or affect anybody, did it? Other than maybe the Warrens, who are clearly nuts. So, uh, but yeah, I don't want to criticise the actors necessarily for failings in the script. So I'll give it a four. I think the I found the acting just fairly nondescript. Yes, really, it, was. it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I mean, there's good, good actors. I mean, Vera Farmiga, who played Lorraine Warren, she's great. Yeah. I've seen her in a few things, and she she's very good. Yeah, I don't. I'm going to just go straight down the middle with five. I think they were neither bad nor good. It was just all right. Now, Paul, what do we call our new horror-related categories? This fear factor, jump scare. Jump. Well, jump scares are very particular, and there are some jump scares in here. But well, okay. I mean, how do you want to score it? Hmm. Shiver. This one, I think, was more shiver than than jump, wasn't it? Yeah, but we need a score, man. That's oh, how did I score the shivering? Yeah, well, this is my highest score. I I, I scored this a seven point five. Really? What did you actually find scary about it? Uh, just the bits where there was the mirror, and you look in the mirror, and something appeared behind, or they thought something was behind. They looked behind, and actually something appeared in front of them. Just those standard, uh, those standard horror moments. I thought they'd, they'd give me a bit of a jump. So yeah. 
I thought you didn't like it, though, those in this film, because they were all in there. I didn't like the fact it was all in there, but still, oh. they worked as scary moments. The ones that were there were done well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just, there were too many of them, but some of them worked very well, so seven. I couldn't seven find it scary at all. I, uh, oh. The whole thing... Um, all right, there are some slightly creepy moments in a dark house and stuff. Some quasi-gory bits, but it's just fucking nonsense. So I'm going to give it a three max for scary fear factor. I found it fairly enjoyably scary, just just in a fun sense. It just did all the horror tropes that are quite, you know, if you're watching it alone on a dark night, it's... it's it, all nights here are dark, aren't they? But you know, it's, this is not this is not Helsingland. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the the, the horror, but the, uh, jump scares. I'm, I'm I'm a bit sick of jump scares in in horror films. It's one of the reasons why I found Midsummer so affecting yes, in that sense. Is that they don't do that. Yeah. There weren't very few, if any, really, in, apart from the scary jumping that was in there. <laughs> um, little but, jump scare. Yeah, jump scare. Yeah, but you know, there, there, there was a lot of building, mounting tension and and stress that was one of the things that made that film such a so uh, you know difficult to watch yet engaging at the same time and i think this film does keep up a creepy atmosphere and there were some pretty unpleasant things like the idea that people had committed suicide because they they'd felt that they were possessed or being made to do something and a creepy thing about you know the woman sacrificing her own baby that was seven days old and that sort of stuff but the jump scares blech, you know um but there were other bits of it that i, th- I thought were uh, you know scary in a way in a good horror film kind of way so I'm probably going to go six on the scary Paul we're talking now about action special effects Uh, pretty poor I'm going to score this a five I'm sorry there wasn't really much going on there you know I I thought the dolls could have been a bit more chucky than they were Uh, we certainly wanted to see more inanimate objects flying (laughs) to and fro we certainly wanted to see the girls spin around in midair rather than just be sort of hoisted and suspended there so uh, and also the puke you know I, I wanted buckets of blood to be puked into her so that her lungs exploded and then she came back to normal afterwards oh, okay that all yeah. of which leads to a score of well we haven't talked about the plot have we no, no, okay, but what's your score for action special effects? Oh, I thought I thought I said pretty oh. for FX, pretty terrible. Yeah, four, I would say. Okay, okay, yeah. No, I mean, I don't think the special effects were bad, particularly. No. Maybe it's un- unimaginative, so I'll give it a five. But bad for the fact it was a horror movie. You know, the one thing you want in a horror movie is better than normal effects. Oh yeah, but it's a true story because they can't make things up. <laughs> <laughs> Alice, what did you think? I th- I think the effects were. Adequate for the purposes of telling uh-huh. this story. I thought I thought the, the 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 blood vomiting into somebody's mouth was actually quite good. Uh-huh. That was the one that I thought. Oh, that's be sure only a few seconds. I wanted more of it. That's, I don't know. I don't, I don't need to see it sustained. <laughs> you know, uh, carry on for like thirty seconds. You know, but I thought that was quite good. Um, other than that, yeah, it, it did. They did the job. So yeah, it's okay. it's five straight down the line. Five. Oh, right. Okay. Finally, plot and whatnot. Yes. Richard, do you want to start off on this one? <laughs> <laughs> so, first of all, lack of imagination. We're just going to take a true story from the case file of a discredited pair of psyching investigators 
And then let's just add in all of the standard uh, horror tropes, just a grab bag of them. Let's go to the lucky dip and see what we get. Put them in one after the other <laughs> and then resolve it at the end. It's just so workaday. I tell you what, this horror film is suffering really badly from us just having watched Midsummer because the contrast between this really old school 70s style horror movie that has brought nothing new uh, against, you know, Ari Aster's Midsummer is stark, isn't it? So, yeah, I'm going to give it a two. Uh, so now I see what you're saying, Paul. Did, did Midsummer uh, allow you to redefine your notions of modern horror? I see what you're saying. Yeah, okay. The way that it was, a, it was psycho. It was a psychological tease, as opposed to a roller coaster. A fi- you know, a fixed line, <laughs> a fixed railroaded, a railroaded uh, series of things yeah. jumping out of the uh, haunted house, kind of thing. Exactly. Know? Yeah. If you want that, just go on the ghost train at Blackpool Pleasure Beach. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a much more visceral way of being scared. I think. Plus, the fluorescent paint's really good. <laughs> so, what's your score? <laughs> So, about plot, plot would have to be, just, it was achingly slow, I thought, and also just so flabby, and, 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 and the backstory wasn't brought in, which it should have been, in, in, so it, it purports to have historical or, or real-life relevance. So, for, this is one of my low scores, a three, I'm sorry, on this one, with regret, but a three. I've, I just thought of something that I want, I want, I'm going to upgrade my special effects score to six, because there was one thing, when we were just doing, like, jokey tropes just then, um... There was a bit quite early on in the film where some laundry flies off the washing line yes. and it flies upwards towards a window. And just for a split second, it looked like an absolutely classic sheet ghost. That's true. You know, that? like somebody covered in a sheet. Good. And I thought, oh, that's that's really that's really great. It just looks. It, it's just that's a new take on corny sheet ghost. It, it, Admittedly, so a new that, take on the, the corniest of ideas. Yeah, that's the yes. It's that that's the newest thing that this yes. brings to the party, yeah. isn't it? Is it, it? It was quite good that. So I'm going to upgrade my my special effects score to six. In terms of story and script, well, the script does the adequate job again of telling the story, but <laughs> the story is not great. So the script pulls this up a little bit. But like I said, I still enjoyed it. So I'm going to give this four for story and oh, script. I think we've pulled like Alistair down his scores. I think Alistair wants to score a little bit higher than before. No, listen. Feel free to listen, score on, it how you want. Uh, uh, listen, I'll say this. On an overall score, for all, everything that I hate about this movie, I'll say that if you're in the mood, uh, if you've just watched Poltergeist, Amityville, you know, The Exorcist, and you're in the mood for, this, for more of the same... And all you're thinking, same, yeah. I wish, I wish there were more films made this way, or I wish they still made movies this way. Then you're in luck. Well, they do because they do, <laughs> and it's this one. And for that reason, I'll give it a five, a generous five, for it doing what it perhaps set out to do fairly well. There you go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do something a bit, a bit unusual, which is that I've given it so far. I've given each category quite low scores, yeah. but overall, go I'm going to give it a higher score. Because I, like I said, I enjoyed What's it. What's wrong with that? We do it all no. the time. I think mean, it's quite right. We do no, the its, element, yeah. it's, yeah. its elements might be poo-poo, but um, uh, I actually still enjoyed it. When I finished it, I thought that was cool. I really want to watch The Conjuring Two now. I mean, I sort of do as well. I sort of want to watch The Conjuring Two, but only for yeah. that delicious <laughs> pleasure I get of being angry about something. I mean, it evoked a strong emotional response in me. No question of that. It's perhaps not the one they were hoping for. Yeah. I don't think these films should be encouraged, though. So uh, your score. I feel then... the same about concrete walls in the middle of Manchester, Richard. 
<laughs> so, so your score was eight, was it? Did you say no? No, no. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna go quite that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go seven. Ooh, it's like recommend. If well, I'd, I'd, I'd watch it again. I would like to see The Conjuring two. Um, although unfortunately, it's the only one of the whole set I think that isn't available on a streaming service for some bizarre reason. It must be to do with licensing. But the Annabelle films and the Nun films are available um, on either Amazon Prime or Netflix. But The Conjuring two isn't for some reason. And if somebody were to say, "I'd really like to watch a really a, a good goat, creepy ghost demon film," I'd say, "Well, give that a, give that a go." So I'd recommend in that sense. So it's like I've said before, recommend with caveats. But for me, it is a fairly healthy seven. Oh, let's yeah. round us out. Well, well, can I just say Japanese concrete walls in the middle of Manchester? Yeah. It's like they exist to challenge our ideas about art by being really crap art. Yeah, an architect. <laughs> And is that how you view this movie, Richard? You enjoy it because it challenges your idea of if what If you want to go be. into Japanese horror, then we're going to go so, there. Rick, you don't want to be scared. You want to be made angry. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that the appeal? <laughs> Allows you to vent. <laughs> I mean, Japanese horror with the, with the scary kid trope who appears from the, the ceiling is... Uh, yeah, that works, I think, for, for about five years. But I won't want to see any more of it, I don't think. I've seen it to death. What's your score on this one, then? I know, I'm dragging it out. Look, yeah, it has to be... I don't want to score the same as you, Richard, is the problem, you see, so I'm dragging it out, but I'm going to have to, because the, the score I've written down is five. There we go. High yeah. five. Yeah. High five. Thanks for living through that with me, everyone. And <laughs> we, we now have to decide on the next movie. Paul, I think technically it's probably your turn to give us some options. I think technically it won't be an idea to remind me of that before the beginning of this podcast. Ah. But anyway, here we go. No, well, Look. hey, listen. Last time you complained vociferously about the fact that you wanted to see the Beyond, that Italian vampire movie. I do, yeah. Even though it's probably going to be crap. But if that's okay. what you want to see, you suggest it, what can we do? But watch it. Okay. So I'm going to suggest the original Beyond. Yeah. Uh, the original Nosferatu. Or, if you like, Hereditary. There we go. Three very different movies. Right. So, But you're going to be upset if we don't choose the original Beyond. I'm not going to be upset, no. Just a minute, you said the original Beyond. So is this the film that um, has Ralph de Lull's Beyond? No, is based it's a on? vampire, an mm. Italian vampire movie. Mm. So, Alistair, I wanted any any opportunity. I was to interested talk about in this. I was interested in this movie. Do you know why? Because it was made for about fifty thousand dollars, but made two hundred million dollars at the box office. That's the only reason I want to watch it to see what kind of smash it was. Right. Listen, I know that Alistair's seen Hereditary, and I suspect. I mean, I think we. I think. Well, I think myself and Alistair like Hereditary, and I think Paul would enjoy it. Well, would it be an interesting one to do as after this? To compare why one demon yes, possession film I think it is good really would. Okay, let's not. go hereditary then, yeah? Settled. Brilliant. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Until next time, we're going to be watching hereditary this time. And oh, here come the antlers with the bells on them. <laughs> Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. I hope 2021 is uh, going to be a better year for everybody. And here's the music in three, two, two and one. one.
Thank you.